0: Howdy. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on all the socials. We are at history and film on Instagram and HIF Pod on Twitter. My personal Twitter account is at Tracknerds, and you can always email me at Simmons at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. And I'm Logan Denning. After running through world history in over 100 movies in chronological order, we wanted to kind of transition into a little tournament here of deciding who is the most interesting person in history. We chose what who we thought were the 32 most interesting people
1: that we covered or at least mentioned in an episode of History and Film for the last 100 episodes. So they are going to be pitted against each other in this uh, tournament. They're split up into regions based on when they were alive, when they were influential. Um, and so this is the culmination of this project to see who is actually the uh, the most interesting person in history.
0: And it's completely arbitrary. This is just kind of, not even a sorry pigeon, we're almost kind of Ouija boarding our way through it as we kind of talk it out and see where we kind of the consensus between the two of us lands
1: oh yeah there's going to be um inconsistencies in uh how we are evaluating these people how we are voting the criteria that we use but you know give us a break it's it's our tournament and uh, we make the rules so right it's uh this is for
0: entertainment purposes only we we are not we are not (laughs) licensed historians (laughs) so Last week, we already started off with a major upset, possibly the biggest upset of the tournament, when the Truong Sisters out of Vietnam beat out Jesus in the first round, which I was telling Sam about that the other day, and he was, like, kind of just, like, smirking at me, like, are you serious? And he's just like, and the point he kind of made was like, so you're talking about interesting, but Jesus is less interesting to you because you've both heard of him your whole life and there's less mystery there versus if you were just to have like a blank slate and aliens like came in and were looking at all the humans in history and they're like whoa whoa tell me more about this guy over here like that's fascinating and i was like that's a good point <laughs>
1: um
0: but number one it's too late
1: we already voted yep. and number two it doesn't change my mind <laughs> no right 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 because, I, I thought- <laughs> because number three uh it's who's most interesting to us right no
0: i i wasn't saying we needed a direct con but i thought it was worth mentioning and get some feedback there right right (laughs) there's gonna be
1: all kinds of you know biases implicit or otherwise that are kind of on display as we go through this um so uh (laughs) yes you know that's just gonna be something that we're gonna have to deal with
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we're trying to eliminate that as much as possible. No, but. right, right. Yeah, it's impossible to eliminate all bias. And, and again, this is for entertainment purposes only.
1: I mean, for God's sake, look at how many people we have from not just, you know, Europe, but from Great Britain in this
0: tournament. Like, yeah, yeah. No, right. Right. And that's almost a Western culture and movie bias thing, just what's available.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not all our
0: fault, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're a product of society. <laughs> we're trying, we're trying. And uh we really didn't actually kind of figure out how to mention last week who or what movies everyone was from, but it, when two of them were literally from the movie with their name. So Cleopatra, we talked about in the movie Cleopatra. And Spartacus, we talked about in the movie Spartacus. So it was yes. kind of and I did mention the two sisters and then uh Jesus was from we did I did specifically the the episode on the last temptation of Christ. So I wanted to mention that cuz it's a little less obvious. Uh, in some of today's matchups
1: Yeah, I I, I put I made a note On each one because There was at least one I don't know it was two Where I was like, okay, when was this person Actually oh, over? Really? I don't remember okay. that And then I was like, I went back And I was like, oh, okay, they were because uh, we have a couple here who were not, you know, the character in their movie. Right, right, okay. Or at least not the titular character. Okay. But, you know, a supporting character who did other interesting stuff outside of the events of that movie. Exactly, movie, exactly. Which,
0: movie. which was kind of our criteria to consider them was just that they needed to have at least been brought up in a previous episode. So yes, our, right. our first match of today, we will see Joan of Arc versus the Empress Matilda. Joan of Arc, obviously the teenage soldier or kind of spirit animal for the french in the 15th century who i discussed in the passion of joan of arc a, a silent film from like the 1920s i actually forget the exact year uh and then empress matilda was actually in becket so she is the mother of henry the right. Second, and was just kind of you know, she was in the film having conversations with him and he was he uh, I remember Peter O'Toole kind of chastising, you know, quiet mother or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that right. mother was Empress Matilda.
1: Right. And but she has like, which is and this kind of, you know, lends credence to why she's in this bracket is because she's involved in the whole Beckett controversy as the mother of Henry II. But that's like at the very end of her life and like not even the most interesting thing that she did. So. Right.
0: Um so let's let's start with again, we'll do our impartial case for and against Joan of Arc. Then we'll move to Empress Matilda and then we'll talk about how we feel about it. So I guess the case for Joan of Arc, there's kind of a big one, I would say, is that she's the only teenager on the list in the sense that she obviously mean, like they were all teenagers at one point or the other. But she's the only one that died a teenager. Joan of Arc did not make it right. to twenty years old, and yet six hundred years after her death is still a household name. That's that's compelling. That's compelling. She obviously helped uh, France, and again, even if she didn't help make battle decisions, she did help inspire the French to victory versus the English.
1: Right, and she did. She did actually fight in these battles. Like she was actually wounded multiple times. Yeah, in these battles. yeah, she true. She was fighting, but. But how much she was actually influenced these strategic decisions versus just like on the field of battle as more of a mascot or a cheerleader is kind of... And also because of the superstitious nature surrounding, oh, well, she claims to have had this god. and, And there are these stories which, again, this isn't quite as far back as the Trung sisters, but it is still, you know, over 600 years ago where there are these stories of where she claimed to actually have met the archangel Michael and all that, but then there's like the story of her going to meet King
0: Charles or the Dauphin seem to be yeah. King Charles,
1: right? The, what's the French word Dauphin? Yeah,
0: Dauphin. It actually just means dolphin, which is basically just a almost like a nickname. They called their princes dolphins, but the French word for dolphin is Dauphin.
1: Okay, well, where he like dressed up as just like a member of court and had someone else pretend to be mm. him. Uh, But she immediately picked him out. Oh, right. Whether or not that story is true or, you know, 100% true, who knows. But yeah, there is a a sort of a superstitious um, aspect to her involvement in the war because of, you know, the mission from God that she said that she had. But that also, you know, it doesn't, I don't think necessarily take away or it she was actually... believer for all. this. Like, yeah. She, she... Yeah. Right. And she, and she actually was, you know, she believed, she had faith that that all was legit. And we know that because she was questioned about it at length multiple times under, you know, torture and uh, was eventually
0: executed for it. So
1: how much of it was literally true? Who no, knows? right.
0: So yeah. it, it, it's it, it seems to be she... Literally believe she had these visions amid these angels. It was it, it wasn't like now again sure. from a historical standpoint that's <laughs> that seems particularly unlikely and there's no evidence so that is just her testimony right and then actually I even read some of that said like well and her testimony might have been she knew she was on trial for her life for heresy or whatever so she wanted to make sure she was selling it as churchly as possible but at the same time she was very devout right it, all, yeah
1: right what what do you what do you say like oh you're on trial for heresy it's like well you uh, you're kind of. You're you're locked in. Yeah, now. she's pot, she was pot <laughs> like committed. That, you have to stick to your story. <laughs>
0: um, and yeah, so and so yeah, that and that's also part of the interesting things. You know, burned at the stake at 19 years old. I, so the case for her is, is a very strong one. The case uh, against uh, Joan of Arc, I suppose, would be I hate to say that she was overrated because I really don't think that's fair. I don't think she was overrated as far as no her role for the for the French. But I think it would be. How much agency she actually had. I would also say that
1: one of the criteria that I know that you lean pretty heavily on is how many different hats the person wore. How many different things they actually did. Whereas, I don't want to call Joan of Arc like a one-trick pony, but like she didn't, you know, she was what she was and she wasn't a ton outside of that. Interesting. Right, right. It's not like she was a... uh, philosopher or something on the outside of the military stuff.
0: Right. You could argue that she's the most interesting figure ever for helping a country in battle, but that's literally it. That's all she ever was. Yeah. So she's the best at that thing, but that's the right. end all be all of her whole story. So we'll say that's right. the case against. Sure. Yeah. M- moving to Empress Matilda, oh. I think she's incredibly compelling as well. So again, the, oh, the yeah. impartial case for... Empress Matilda is just man, you know, talk about diverse. So she's she's the granddaughter of William the Conqueror, you know, the son of King Henry the First. And when she's twelve years old, she's sent off to like Germany and she marries, or maybe she may be even younger, but she she's married off to the Right.
1: Well, and also on her mother's side, she's the great 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 granddaughter of Ethelred the Unready. So she's like has the Norman and the Anglo-Saxon, yes, lineage both at the same time. Right.
0: So yeah. So yeah. Her her yeah her lineage is kind of unparalleled. So you got William the Conqueror, who is of course himself, you know, from Charlemagne, and then on her uh, mom's side, you get Alfred the Great and Ethelred the Unready, and like you said, all the Saxons, but then also the Scottish. So you know, Duncan from Macbeth is also one of her ancestors, and then right, and then every Every monarch, you know, Right, every the, monarch yeah. you've
1: ever heard of in England since what since 1154, right? Directly descended from, from her, Matilda.
0: right? So she's the one that kind of brought in the heritage on both sides, and then all every monarch since her is from her, even when all the branches, you know, they you know, retreat and go back when Queen Elizabeth dies without the air, they backtrack. Yeah, everyone they backtrack right. to is still a descendant of Empress Matilda, and. Right. Now again, that's outside, outside of her lifetime. But as she was born, you know, we talk about being born into royalty. Matilda is one of the greatest of all time, as far as what right, lineage yeah. she was she was born into. And then yes, then married off at a young age to the man who becomes the Holy Roman Emperor. I don't think he was when they were married, because they talk about when- no,
1: it, it was it was soon after. Yeah, right. she was married.
0: She was at twelve years sent old to
1: Germany because of because she wasn't going to be in line for the throne because she had a technically had an
0: older brother. Or actually, I think he was younger, but he was a brother.
1: Oh, that's right, that's right. She, he was younger, but uh, he was but male because yeah. he was a male. He's in line for the throne, so she then gets married to the Holy Roman Emperor, right? Which is
0: why she's Empress Matilda. Um, yeah, right. so she go, goes to Rome and everything, you know, meeting with the Pope, well, you know, all that stuff. Again, even though she's you know born in England and then actually was she born in england or france i actually don't remember off the top of my head we'll say england and i'll cut it out if it's wrong um (laughs) (laughs) so but then uh uh, he dies before they have any children and so her father recalls her to england and needs to make a Again, we don't need to get into the full detail here, but she's she's married off to a French guy, uh, Geoffrey of Anjou, uh, to kind of shore up alliances there. She's not really happy about that because he's way younger and than her. And during
1: that time, she, she becomes in line for the throne because her brother died.
0: Right, I, for, I, forgot, and I forgot the timeline there. She was married to the Anjou guy before or after her brother died. I actually just forgotten the timeline.
1: I think she gets married to Geoffrey d'Anjou. <laughs>
0: That's that's pretty good. That is, French, is, yeah. We was we were, just, we're just anglicizing Jeffrey of Anjou, <laughs>
1: right? Jeffrey of Anjou. It's a, I think that's that's after her brother died because okay, that's the reason she got called back to England was because oh, that's right, that's right. Died. And he,
0: and he need, yeah. So while her father is basically trying to marry and have more heirs, more male heirs, he's got to get, he also has to get her married off to someone who's going to help him out anyway. Right. Her brother, yeah. Her brother, yeah, her brother died, and then her father names her. His actual heir gets all the nobles in England to agree. Oh, okay, yeah, if, that, if that's what you want, king, then we will support uh, your daughter's claim when you die. And then he dies. She's like, "Hey, all right, I'm queen now." And they're like, "Yeah, no." And they were like, "Ha, gotcha." Right. We don't want
1: to be ruled by a woman.
0: Right, right. <laughs> so that's basically the only reason she wasn't made queen. She she actually even and then of course then it ends up being a big fight, a whole civil war about it. She actually even kind of wins the civil war, and then and everyone's yes. just like, and the, even the community is just like. Ugh, gross! A girl? Yeah, no, no. Go she away. She has cooties. Yep. She can't be queen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she was like literally had her coronation planned and everything. Right? And they were like, basically gets ran out of town. And, like, um, actually, you have to leave, or we're gonna murder you. So then she, yeah, had to go back to Oxford. Right?
0: And then so the king becomes her cousin, another descendant of William the Conqueror via one of his daughters. So it, so it is a first cousin who he kind of takes charge and he kind of plans on being king. And then Matilda kind of goes back to worry about French stuff. And then like you know. Half a generation later, her son is over then fighting uh, Stephen, her cousin. And, right. and she's kind of just like has other concerns. And anyway, and then it, it, Stephen has, doesn't have an heir. And so the, basically the way it ends the whole battle is that Stephen agrees to make Matilda's son king and an heir. Right. And she kind of then just becomes an advisor for her son who becomes king. And then that's kind of a whole interesting dynamic because he's one of the most powerful monarchs. In history, and in fact, it, wasn't he the winner on the Rex Factor podcast of the most Rex Factoryist uh, monarch in English history? Oh, I don't
1: know. I didn't. I haven't made it to the
0: end of their uh, oh, okay. the tournament yet. Spoiler alert: I think he wins, <laughs> <laughs> but, but rightfully so.
1: I would. It, it would. It would make sense though. But yeah. So you're almost
0: thinking like English history is almost kind of this, uh, or it goes against the French history as well. But just this hourglass of all the great people before and all the great people after and then the little thing that all the sand goes through is empress matilda
1: matilda yes but it but it's crazy though because she was never technically queen of england right even though she should have been dad was king and then there's all this stuff that happens around her where she doesn't get to be queen but then her son ends up being king anyway
0: right and even and by her father's wishes she should have been the first queen of england anyway right so that's the case for the case against is uh, it's, I don't have a good case against her. I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, like, I would almost
1: argue that there isn't one.
0: Um, so let's try though. We could have an impartial case against the Empress <laughs> Matilda w- would be, I mean, the fact that she was ultimately unsuccessful in a lot of things. She was ultimately uninteresting historically. After her son gets the throne, it and d- and was kind of relegated to a backseat. She her, she didn't have the staying power. As far as no one's heard of her. We have her as a seventh right, seed because that, she's... That is what I would say
1: is kind of the only thing really against her is that she doesn't have the name recognition that like that Joan of Arc does. Right, and even
0: when they're like, hey, we'll make a movie about her, actually, no, we're going to make the movie about her son and she's going to be knitting in the background.
1: Right, which, you I mean, I think there is actually a, a movie or at least like a, I think there's a show about Empress Matilda. Okay, okay. Um, there's a show called Pillars of the Earth. It's a 10-part miniseries. Starring Ian McShane. Oh, huh. And an Allison Pill
0: as Matilda. Okay, so that's crazy. I've heard of the Pillars of Earth book, and I've heard very mixed. It's like some people swear by it and think it's the greatest thing ever. And then I've talked to other people who are just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, it's all right. But I didn't realize it was historical fiction. I, I don't know I don't know what I thought Pillars of Earth was, but I, I, it's, it's an 800-page book, which is why it's a long miniseries there. Yeah. I didn't realize it was historical fiction. That's crazy. Yeah, just thinking of the white ship. Oh, I'm... So that's crazy. Now I'm actually very curious to read that book. Yeah, Tony Curran plays Stephen. I think
1: it's it's more
0: it is it is about that Civil War. Yeah, between her and Stephen. Okay, but it focuses maybe more on Stephen side of it. Well, or, I mean, she's both. a she's a main character. I think okay. she is like. I did not know if she was the protagonist though, per se.
1: I don't know if she's the protagonist, but she's definitely like the side of the good guys is her. Okay. Okay. So I don't, know, I don't know who it specifically follows, though, or how much they actually show her.
0: But it is about that conflict. Interesting. Okay, so I feel like this is, again, based on how we're both talking, is this going to be, like, last week where I fully expected to be okay with voting along with Joan of Arc with you, but we're kind of both, what, Matilda? Oh, you were planning on voting Joan of Arc? I was, if you were going to go Joan of Arc, I'd be like, yeah, I could kind of see that. I mean, because I'm actually... I'm... Uh, uh, no, dude. Okay. So,
1: well, no. <laughs> I was... I, so, if we would have had to vote based just on name recognition before we did any research into these people, especially because I didn't really know about Empress Matilda until you, I think this was like a few months ago, maybe even like almost a year ago now, when you brought up how crazy interesting her life is, but... Yeah, no, it's definitely Empress Matilda. Okay. <laughs> I mean that,
0: for 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 me, for me. Uh, no, that's and, my vote. And uh so I I definitely lean that way. The only reason I hesitate is as I talked about in I I honestly our Bill and Ted episode, I I'm a big Joan of Arc fan. I find her fascinating. Just yes. what, what what she represented.
1: But unfortunately for her, she's going up against Empress Matilda, who is one of the most interesting people ever.
0: <laughs> yeah I yeah mean, her life is her life is insane yeah this is even this is even actually this is actually even less of an upset to me than the Truing sister so like i was 100 percent convinced you were going jesus i thought this was more of a coin toss but i kind of thought joan of arc was kind of the easy answer i do, do want to make sure we're not falling into the trap of is it because empress matilda is new and interesting and and more provocative of a choice
1: right I don't think so. I, I think not that that we, we can be biased. We could be biased and be right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 for sure. But I think that this is one of those things where Joan of Arc has the name recognition, but her actual accomplishments during her life are more one, I'm not going to say they're one note, but they're more one note than Empress Matilda. Yes.
0: And if we're talking about interesting life lived, Joan of Arc absolutely had an interesting life. She made this tournament for a reason. But holy right. cow, Empress Matilda is fascinating and such an. She's gonna be life. a heavy
1: hitter in this whole bracket.
0: I yeah, I th- you're right, and I I'm, I'm with you 100. I just uh, wh- I was expecting to have more of a debate. Maybe I was expecting to basically have to talk you into Matilda. I think is what it was. And uh,
1: oh yeah, no, just the research did that.
0: Yeah, and I think I think maybe too. Well, honestly, too, I think when we were picking out who was going to be on the list, I think you're like, oh, yeah, OK, I guess we can consider her. And then, yeah, I didn't think about the fact that I guess in my mind, I'm p- planning these arguments against the general public who hasn't done any research. But no, I'm talking to you who's doing the same research I'm doing and right. has a similar mindset. Yeah, so maybe we're going to agree good a lot point. more than we think.
1: Although I, I would say, you know. She she was kind of a, oh, yeah, I guess we could include her. But that's because her life is so interesting that she got put on this bracket when I only knew a couple things about her. Like, oh, yeah, she was, you know, Henry the Second's mom, but also earlier in her life was the empress of the Holy Roman Empire. Well, those are two pretty important things. That's pretty interesting. Let's put her on the bracket. And that's that's just scratching the surface. And that got her on the bracket.
0: Right, right. Okay, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I, I think it's actually it is an easy choice. I just expected to have to talk it out a little more. So, congratulations to the Empress Matilda. You're moving on to uh, the next round. Is that That's awesome?
1: Is that technically another upset because of the seating? Is that?
0: I no, I think so. I think so. Again, if, if you're John Q. Public, and this is the first episode of our podcast you're listening to. You are probably either think we're idiots or are very intrigued to learn more about Empress uh, Matilda. Oh
1: yeah, it is. It's a it's a seven seat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, upsetting a two seat. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> yeah, so we, we are two out of three on uh, upsets so far based on, based on our seating. So let's uh, let's see what happens in the next matchup. Again, I kind of have my ideas on what you're thinking, but uh, I seem to be wrong so far. So this could be interesting. Uh huh. <laughs> so our next matchup is. Vlad the Impaler, better known as Dracula versus Isabella of France. So, Dracula, Vlad the Impaler, the, the movie was Vlad Tepes. I did as a Halloween episode to start the second season of the podcast. Isabella of France is a name that may not ring many bells, but she is the princess in the film Braveheart. So, most of you should be familiar with her if you've seen that film. Even though her depiction in that movie is, like, way historically inaccurate. <laughs> Which we will get to. <laughs> um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, let, let's let's go ahead and start with our case for and against Vlad Tepes. Okay. So, the the, the case for, again, you got the, the staying power and the household name kind of thing. Because what's funny about, so, Dracula, obvious household name, just because of the... fictional character based on him but even vlad the impaler is basically a household name even for people who don't know that he's dracula i would argue however i
1: would say though that i think that the and and this is just because of the like just an argument against the staying power i think that if bram stoker doesn't write dracula how many people know of vlad the impaler
0: you're right because they only know Vlad the Impaler because of Dracula and the real story there. That's that's valid. That's valid. So the staying power is dependent on an author centuries after right, his life. I wife. think
1: it's right. I was going to say I think it's a, it's a kind of a, a backwards thing. Okay, um, where Bram Stoker writes Dracula and then people find out you know that becomes hugely popular. That name has staying power because of the popularity of the book and subsequent movies. Okay. And then people are like, "Oh, it's based on a real guy who was actually named Dracula?" Oh, Vlad the Impaler? Oh, that's crazy. Let's find out what he like Yeah, it's a, it's a backwards thing, not a not a forward thing.
0: True. Now, that said, even without the Bram Stoker novel, stories of Vlad the Impaler were spreading all over Europe during his lifetime.
1: Uh yeah, because they're like real-life horror stories.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it timed out perfectly with the invention of the printing press. So if you're looking for something other than the Bible to print and sell, stories of this absolute (laughs) monster, but also kind of hero for his people. Basically, he's. uh, I always think of the term, it's in the film Patton, where General Patton says, like, Rommel, you magnificent bastard, I read your book. And I just always love that sentence. (laughs) And the phrase magnificent bastard is someone who's just, you know, awful and glorious all at the same time vlad the impaler is just a magnificent bastard
1: yeah super super brutal super ruthless super bloodthirsty
0: super ambitious as like yeah.
1: right very ambitious has this like really hardcore moral code um especially as it pertains to like quote unquote unchaste females but also like you know fluent in a bunch of languages brilliant tactician you know kind of pioneered a a whole bunch of different things related to warfare in his war
0: against the ottomans grew up as a ward in what in what turkey or the ottoman empire because he's basically needed to keep his father in line so kind of like a theon Greyjoy situation going on there right
1: and then does like almost a real life red wedding when he invites all the to come. yeah locks him in burns the building down or whatever it was? Oh, no, 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 oh. when, he, when he The first time that he impaled people. Oh, he, right, right. When he first takes the throne and he says, Hey, everyone, like, I know that you guys murdered my dad or whatever, but, like, it's cool. Let's, you know, bury the hatchet and come have this Easter feast. And everyone shows up. He's like, just kidding. I'm, I'm putting all of you on stakes.
0: Every single one he's Yeah, sorry. I, I forgot which atrocity you were
1: referring to. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the other because, right, he did do the other thing. Um, but at least in the research that I did, uh, he... He did that. And uh, this is one of those things where uh, it's like, you could look at it in a good way, kind of where he not really, he invites a whole bunch of like poor beggars for this huge feast. And then yeah, locks him in the building and burns it down. But then he says, like, I've solved
0: poverty in my kingdom, because (laughs) I just we have no more beggars now. Now, and, and so from the, from the positive view is he is considered still to this day a Romanian national hero. And, and it, it's hard to yeah. maybe get your head around that. But I think here's maybe the way to say it would be imagine for the US if George Washington totally beat the British. We won our freedom because he just massacred them right. and killed them in such a scary way and started putting the British officers on spikes so that England was just like, yeah, we're getting the heck out of here. This Washington dude is crazy. And then we're like, <laughs> yay, George Washington. <laughs> That's Vlad Tepes for Romania, <laughs> but not even for the right. whole country of Romania. Just what's crazy, too, is just this tiny little area of Wallachia that like became right. part say, of uh, Romania.
1: I would say to anyone who thinks that it's crazy that Romanians, you know, to this day, look at Vlad Tepish as a hero to their country, keep in mind that Andrew Jackson is on our money. Well, so,
0: there you go. Fair, fair. <laughs> Trail to tears like, and all that. Yeah. For-
1: you know, just there are a lot of complications when we look at historical figures. And so yeah, what, fair. Uh, what is seen as horrible in the villain to one group is like, you know, the hero of the day for somebody else.
0: Right. So the, the case against would be, I guess the small timeness of Wallachia not being a major player outside of its own little region. And the fact that you already said that a lot of his reputation is an notoriety is simply because of the story Dracula that has nothing to do with him personally, I guess, other than the inspiration right. of the stories that themselves were exaggerated, like the stories that were spreading throughout Europe, thanks to the printing press. Some of those were just kind of fabrications spread by his enemies, too, too so uh, in some ways. I mean, there's the true things, but then you can make the true things because it was the intent. Was he actually sadistic or is it more just like, this is me putting my foot down in a way that I have to because we're the smallest dog in this fight. So it's, it's the whole, you know, when you get into prison, you're supposed to like find the biggest guy and beat him up, right? that was dracula's mo it's like we are tiny right. and surrounded by major powers i need to basically beat up the biggest guy in the room and you know put him on a spike so that no one messes with us right so was it more like a tactical decision as opposed to him being a sadist sure
1: well and he you know he also is influential in other ways that people probably don't even know about or realize like all of the you know, he, he did a lot of, like, early guerrilla warfare against the Turks because he was super outgunned and outnumbered. Right, right. He had to be innovative, so right. You know, he, doing these, like, stealth missions, like, and not he was telling other people to do Like, he himself right. was dressing up as a Turk. Which he could speak their language because he had grown up there. Exactly. And going and, you know, convincing, like, he convinced the guards of a certain town to, like, oh, hey, man, we're Turks, too. Like, why don't you just open up the gates and let us in? oh, here comes my army over this hill, and uh, now we're in your town killing everyone. (laughs) He also was like one of the first uh, military leaders to utilize gunpowder. He was uh, one of the first military people to do this kind of like rudimentary bio warfare where he would get some of his soldiers that were like infected with the plague and say, hey, go hang out in that Turkish town over there and give everyone in the
0: town (laughs) the plague. (laughs) Wow. Okay, let's uh let's do the case for and against uh, Isabella of France. So like, I kind of wanted normally I wouldn't probably start here, but I want to kind of start with the lens of Braveheart. What Braveheart did get right is the fact that she was super smart, super beautiful, and not particularly into her husband. They nailed that, right? But that's the timing is completely right, wrong. Right, that that that's all they got right. So right. she never met William Wallace. <laughs> she no. was a child when he died and hadn't right. even come over to England to marry Edward, who was much older than her versus the movie made them look like they were you know, roughly the same age and it was an appropriate appropriate match. He He was much older when right. they married.
1: Well, also the... Movie shows like a romance between the two of them. Again, she was like nine years old at the time that he died, and then it also doesn't the movie imply that William Wallace is actually the real father of Edward the Third? It does imply that, which is that. impossible yeah. because he yeah. died like many years before Edward the Third was born.
0: Right, right. So yeah, that the William Wallace stuff for Isabella is completely fabricated. Right, but despite that, she's still fascinating in that she. It, it is kind of fascinating. So she is kind of this strong woman, and of course, women at the time period were just used as you know chess pieces, essentially. Edward the First, you know, brings brings her. Or, or actually, no, weren't they even married after Edward the First died too? Um, um, so they were married when she was twelve, which would have been like there you go. Okay, so they were, they were married in thirteen oh eight. Longshanks died thirteen oh seven. Yeah, so they were married after they were even married after Longshanks okay. died, which gotcha. the the movie Braveheart starts with the, like the marriage. Right. But yes, so the, the one thing that is kind of maybe in the spirit of correctness is when she's whispering to Longshanks on his deathbed that, I'll see that your son doesn't rule long or whatever, or your, yeah, your son. Right. Yeah. And so that sentiment, again, even though she didn't marry until after Longshanks, so she yeah, she didn't marry until after Longshanks was dead and she never met William Wallace, so she wouldn't have been pregnant on his deathbed and all those kinds of things. But. The idea of her undermining her husband's rule absolutely happened.
1: Right. Although, Edward II kind of did
0: a lot of that himself. Oh, no, right, right, right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not painting her out, like, her out to be like a Machiavellian kind of figure here. He kind of sucked. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and
1: he, he made a lot of bad decisions and definitely was like, you know, when she, this is kind of getting ahead of us, but when she comes back from France with Edward III, the people who were you know, the subjects of Edward II were like, ooh, yeah, I think it's time for somebody else because this,
0: dude, this Sucks. dude is horrible. Sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, it kind of does tie into it too. So it's interesting where in, in, in Braveheart, they do kind of show that Edward II is, is gay. That seems to be accurate. It, he at least definitely heavily favored these male advisors who were his close confidants to the extent right, that other he, people talked about him behind his back and basically said, yeah, yeah he's probably shagging that dude, and he probably was.
1: And I mean, you know, to to say that he was all the way gay. I mean, he he sired children with other women, right? Too, true. Like,
0: That's a good point.
1: And he sired children with uh, with Isabella. So like, he was kind of uh, he definitely swung both ways. That's, but he yeah. did. But he 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 was like. He was obsessed with his, with the two yes. uh, big right. male, you know, quote-unquote advisors, probably lovers, right. uh, Piers Gaveston and Hugh Dispenser. Like, yes. he basically screwed up his entire kingdom over these dudes. Right. So, like, couldn't focus on anything. It would almost be
0: weird if they weren't lovers. <laughs> because right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like, for sure. wait, it's just your pal? But but right, to your point, well, he was must have been attracted to women to some extent. Not just because he sired actual heirs, because that was kind of a responsibility thing you would do right. anyway. Even if you had but no he had mistress- women. but right. you're right, he actually had mistresses, which recreationally, why you, <laughs> right? Why would you have mistresses if you were if you were not not sexually attracted to women? So yes, he was probably right. bisexual, I would say. But yes, he was not popular at all. the 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 nobles in, don't the nobles execute his first. So yeah, Longshanks in the in Braveheart throws his lover out the window. That's just kind of a proxy, uh, and didn't happen. But his lovers were, his; these guys were executed.
1: Yes, they were both executed, yeah.
0: The, the first one, Isabella actually got along with, and they were kind of pals with, and they kind of worked together. But then when he's executed by, by the nobles, right? And just the nobles just kind of just say, yeah, we're done with him, and, and it was, yeah. it's complicated, but we're kind of going focus more on her anyway. Right. But then his second uh, boy toy, she hates. And yes. just it just basically causes this huge rift in the whole right. kingdom when uh, Isabella doesn't get along with the next guy.
1: Right. To the point where she goes to France to kind of, well, she's sent to France kind of as a last resort for Edward because uh, Edward, you know, can't, (laughs) he can't leave this Hugh Dispenser guy behind in England with, you know, without him supervising him, but he also can't take him to France. So he's kind of stuck, but he has to go to France to pay homage to Charles the Fifth. And so he kind of has no other choice but then to send Isabella to France, which I mean, it was desperate and it it didn't turn out in his favor, but he didn't have a choice. He he had to. So then she goes to France and then just never comes back and then kind of plot. Not really. Well, yeah, she plots plots with Charles V and Charles V says, hey, man, if you just send your son over here, like he can pay homage and then we're all good. So then son goes over and then Isabella's like, oh, well, now I have the heir to the throne of England. And now we're just gonna, we're just gonna be in France. And, uh, yeah, basically, Edward II, you can fuck off. <laughs> right, and then,
0: and then, uh, but then they basically... Well, then she brings him
1: back to England.
0: I, I was that well, because it's not even a coup. It's, it's not like her son then becomes king when Edward II dies. Like, no, they depose Edward II. He's kicked off the throne. Right, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Cool, because then she, that's when she, like, m- you know, meets and is involved with Roger Mortimer, and then they go back to England, and and... Because Edward was so shitty, Edward II was so shitty, they don't really have a hard time convincing people to support them. And then that's when, yeah, when they depose Edward II. Hugh Dispenser, who was boy toy number two for Edward II, is like executed in the most gruesome way yeah um you can actually if you want to there's like a very famous uh, medieval style mural painting of his execution oh
0: okay um, yeah yeah. i think i've seen yeah. it i didn't it didn't occur to me that it was him but i think i know what you're talking about yeah basically um they just cut off everything <laughs> um yeah kind of like what they, they mentioned doing right. to william wallace at the end of the film braveheart almost exactly yeah the same yeah, thing. yeah. Basically, they say yep. they did that to hugh dispenser i mean they did what to Wallace too it was kind of a thing right but yeah yeah, so she, so again, you just think about this princess who's a pawn comes over, basically kind of blows up the English monarchy in a sense. Well, and of course, again, it's Edward II kind of was it was kind of the right place, right time. Edward II was an unpopular king with these advisors who had too much influence over him, and then she's then has the heir to the throne safe over in France comes in boots. Edward II, and, he's, and then he can even kind of dies mis- mysteriously. It's basically, like, they kind of like force him to advocate, but then he ends up inexplicably dead months later, and she's like, so I don't know what happened. He's in custody, and people keep
1: trying to break him out, and he keeps trying to break out, and he, like, there's like two or three attempts... And then he dies. And there were stories at the time saying that he was like murdered. He probably was murdered, but there were stories that he was like really gruesomely murdered. Uh, but if he was murdered, it wasn't in a way that left any kind of mark or forensic evidence. Yeah. on any his bot- So he was probably like strangled or something. And also I guess that there was- this is a uh, kind of a, this might be getting in the weeds too much for, for what we're doing here, but some people think, Oh, well Isabella had a murdered so that, you know she could basically just get him out of the way so that her son can be king and then she can kind of have influence over him but i guess when he died she went to the embalmer like it's documented that she went to the embalmer to like find out about his death or how he died and people say well why would she do that if she was the one who had him murdered mm. so maybe she did maybe she didn't but she definitely benefited, benefited from it
0: right and then so then her son becomes edward the third about 15 right. years old and but now he again you actually i there was there's actually kind of I, I could be a little wrong here but then didn't basically he she kind of expected to be you know a major advisor and kind of still be in power but because of the, like the, how mortimer was viewed and then basically her son was just like i know you're sleeping with the mortimer guy i'm done with right. you so he kind of then relegates her to the backseat for the rest of her life and even right. though he's only 15 he starts to flex his muscle immediately as ever the third
1: yeah and he he did still have like <laughs> even though he like killed his mom's lover like had him executed and put her under house arrest for basically the rest of her life like you can still see like (laughs) it's relatively speaking he did have a good relationship and care about his mom because at least he didn't kill mortimer in the same way that like you know hugh dispenser was executed he just hung the guy and then blamed everything on like the deposition and all that blamed it all on Roger basically saying my mom had nothing to do with that
0: uh, she was like uh, had, un- he had undue influence over her and she was just like in his thrall kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. right
1: so he kind of did what he had to do to kind of sweep everything under the rug blamed it all on Roger Mortimer who he killed or had had executed but in a relatively humane way and then put his mom under house arrest okay. for the rest of her life
0: yeah so that's Isabella of France yeah and Well, I guess that was was kind of a long case for her, I guess we we would say, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I was going to say just one more quick uh, bullet point. We were talking about, you know, lineage, hourglasses. Like hers isn't quite as cool as Empress Matilda's, but like she's, you know, has her husband is Edward II. Her son is Edward III, who's then the dad of the Black Prince of Wales, Edward the Black Prince of Wales. Right, right.
0: Yeah, the Black Prince is her grandson, yeah.
1: right. Um, so I I don't know I just think that that was that's kind of a cool th- like her lineage is kind of cool too
0: well I think it's the kind of I guess we kind of ties in there too when you remember that well you know Longshanks is oh shoot I giving my generation's right Longshanks is like the great-grandson of Matilda I'd, I'd have to count to fit the reality the exact generation but I mean right you know he yeah, yeah. goes her son's Henry II his son is Prince John who has like Henry III and then Henry III's son is Edward I that's just off the top of my head but I think that's right Anyway, so the case against her would be, again, a lot of this is just kind of, you know, you don't know until you really kind of dig into it. She never actually had a lot of real power. She was kind of, even with her son, she was always, she was never much more than an advisor kind of throughout. Right.
1: But I would say that that's almost...
0: Just to, because she was a woman.
1: Just because she, well, she was a woman and she wasn't, um she wasn't the king. So the fact that she had as much influence as she did right. is kind of crazy. Right.
0: True, true. So this... I, I'm getting again it's kind of funny as we kind of talk this out we just kind of hear each other's intonation we just gonna kind of start to get a vibe of which way we're leaning this would be the worst one where I feel like I feel like we're both kind of torn is that fair this is definitely the hardest uh, decision to
1: make this is definitely the hardest one we've we've had so far
0: I I would agree I would agree I I have a way I'm leaning and I don't feel great about it so if I uh rip the band-aid off i love them both I would have to go with Vlad the Impaler but I'm open to a conversation.
1: I, <laughs> I'm i leaning Isabella. Oh,
0: okay, okay. <laughs> so basically, let's try to convince each other some more, or we'll have to go straight to like kind of the blind vote if we can't decide. Okay, so
1: I guess, why don't you go first and kind of explain why you are leaning Vlad over Isabella?
0: Um, I don't know. I, I do feel like that maybe... And again, I could be wrong. I feel like a lot of the draw to Isabella is, it is kind of the unknown thing we've been talking about. That yeah, a lot of the stuff is stuff we hadn't heard before. So I get that it's interesting. But I think when you learn the real life story behind the guy who becomes the inspiration for Dracula, it's just one thing after the next of, you know, betrayals and ruthlessness. I mean, Game of Thrones has nothing on Vlad the Impaler's actual life. And I just, you know, from being a ward and kind of, you know, just the underdog kid who then, you know, because we haven't we gotten into the, the nitty gritty of all the details of, you know, you know, how he had to be, you know, this enemy and then this enemy and this enemy. And that's just a secure power within his own kingdom. And then he has to, you know, turn outward and he's fighting, you know, he's pinned between the Hungarian empire and the Ottoman empire and holds his own when he had no right to hold his own. And then all that's before you even get into the, oh yeah, by the way, he was crazy ruthless and his, Vlad the Impaler because of his preferred method of execution and just how ruthless and anyway just I find it fascinating and just how you know ultimately he just kind of just uh, end up dead uh, for always kind of fighting for I guess independence he's almost kind of like uh, if uh, if Satan met William Wallace <laughs> you get Vlad <laughs> Tepes I just kind of find him in- endlessly fascinating and I, sh- I am curious to do even more research if he advances on to the to the next round here to see. And again, I I'm a huge fan of Isabella of France as well. I just feel like yeah, there's a, there's a lot of powerful women behind all these kings and queens who are wheeling and dealing b- behind the scenes and I and I don't know if she stands out above the crowd as much as an Empress Matilda does. So, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that she
1: necessarily is as interesting as Empress Matilda, but I would say that what I think gives her the edge over Vlad Tepes is so Vlad is definitely, you know, a uh, strategic and tactical genius. He's basically at war his entire life, constantly losing and regaining the throne of of Wallachia over and over again, fighting against like uh the Hungarians and the Ottomans. And he's fighting all these battles and he's losing and regaining the throne, but I think that for Isabella, her accomplishments and the way that she attained as much power as she did is more impressive one because she's a woman and it would have been definitely she's fighting an uphill battle in everything she does because she's a woman in the middle ages so she has to play this like 4D chess to get her and her son in the same place at the same time and you know then use her feminine wiles to get basically the help of this Roger Mortimer guy to come back and eventually is successful in getting her son deposing her former her husband basically getting her son on the throne i just think that the fact that she was able to do that and she's not she doesn't have like she's not putting people on spikes and she's not you know <laughs> doing these like stealth recon missions to into her enemies camps and stuff like she's just doing all of this with basically political genius
0: right so she's doing it in a less interesting way <laughs> <laughs>
1: But I think, I think it's harder to do it that way. No, no, yeah. Especially as
0: a woman. Um, so let's actually put this to the blind number. I'll tip my hand. I can tell you feel stronger about Isabella than I feel about Vlad. But I'm going to make you earn it on the battlefield with a blind vote here. <laughs> so if you don't bid high enough, I'm Vlad's going to beat you. But I'm telling you right now, I don't feel as strongly as you do. But I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to bid.
1: Because we... This is the first time that we're doing this. Do we want to kind of go over how this is going to work? Yes,
0: yes. So the way I see it is we are both going to put down a, quote, bid, a number one through a hundred, but we knowing that we both only have a total of 100 points here to spend in the first round. I'm going to say it's just the first round. So we're in our fourth matchup. That only leaves 12 more matchups. Um, and obviously, most of the time we seem to agree, so keep that in mind, I guess. But yeah, the, but the winner loses their points. The losing bid will still have 100 points to deal with next time. The winning bid will be down that number of points.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: So I'm still gonna make you earn it. And again, if you bid wrong, Vlad will win. But I'm also telling you,
1: which, which I would, I wouldn't be like, okay, super no, right, about.
0: right. But uh, I can tell you feel stronger uh, about it than I do. And I feel like that's going to be reflect. Anyway, so let's uh, type your number into your cell next to Isabella and we'll just hit enter on the count of three. All right, yeah. One, two, three.
1: Okay. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I thought it was going to be way closer. Okay.
0: Well, and I, I wasn't trying, I was actually trying to talk you into voting lower, but I knew you also didn't want to risk her losing. So that's fair. That's right. fair.
1: Okay. Yeah. So for the listeners, I voted 40. And Rich voted 7. Right. So Isabella of France moves on to face Empress Matilda.
0: That'll be a good matchup. Okay. Now, so now going forward, I now have 100 points left for future bids. You have 60 points for future bids. And again, our, the rationale is that basically this is a way of us both, quote, getting our way. So Logan gets to break this tie. I'm more likely to get to break the next tie, depending on how, how the voting goes. Okay. So... That was fun.
1: That was riveting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Again, I I think it's good that we don't talk about it ahead of time. So, thanks for listening. Uh, Next time, we will get to uh, a couple different matchups. We will have Napoleon Bonaparte versus Catherine de' Medici. And the one that just makes us chuckle every time, Helen Keller versus Ivan the Terrible. (laughs)